You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where climate change was the gunman on the grassy knoll. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. The opening quip was, of course, a reference to a story that Midsider Lucid shared in the official Discord about a groundbreaking discovery ends the debate of what killed the dinosaurs, and it is, in fact, climate change that killed the dinosaurs, which... I don't think it's technically an incorrect argument. I mean, think about it. The climate is always changing. Climate affects our quality of life. Everything on life gradually gets worse and dies. It's got to be climate change that's killing us then, right? I mean, correlation is clearly causation, if that's always happening, right? Maybe the Earth orbiting the sun or the Earth rotating is also what killed the dinosaurs and is killing us. Um, so think about that. And then finally on this edition of the Midside, we are addressing Taylor Swift. It's taken us 11 years into our run. I don't even know if we've mentioned Taylor Swift before, but we're going full on in on Taylor Swift on this episode, as well as a couple old but good Midside topics in Disney and San Francisco. But before we do all that, we have to bring in my co-host who surely is gloating because Looks like the University of Michigan's got a really good shot at a national college football title. Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, of course. Go blue. Yeah, we got a couple uh, couple more tough games to go, but it's been a real snooze fest the last couple games uh, with uh, kind of weaker opponents. But that's the current state of the Big Ten. Very, uh, very... Uh, top of the top and bottom of the bottom but justin didn't we i think the only mention i can remember at least twice mentioning that taylor swift was causing global warming somehow uh there was a news story i think i mentioned it we didn't cover it but i mentioned that uh i think it was taylor swift her one of her tours was apparently no it wasn't global warming it was inflation it was causing inflation i think i mentioned that at uh, at one point, I'll have to dig up that story. Oh, it's but, too bad uh, it wasn't clo- causing I, climate I know, change because then we could say Taylor Swift killed the dinosaurs. Yeah, yes, we could. But I think also, does that mean if climate change killed the dinosaurs and fossil fuels are made of dinosaurs, that climate change is causing climate change or the dinosaurs are killing us today? Yes, I have nothing to say to that. But yes, that sounds incredibly accurate to me. Man, it's a crazy to think about that climate change is causing climate change. So if what we <laughs> don't things cause themselves? Isn't that how it happens? <laughs> but yes. imagine we invented time travel and stopped dinosaurs from existing. Would there be no climate change? I think it's I think it's all a time loop. Um, you know, fifty years from now, we'll invent a time uh, a, a way to to pump the CO two back in time, and we'll just pump it back to the dinosaurs. That way, we'll have an unlimited amount of oil. So that's, that's ah, my so sci-fi the circular story. the yeah. circular time theory. That's what you're yeah. going with. Um, that's what I'm sticking with. Time doesn't end; it just creates itself at the end. Yep. 
Yep. Well, maybe that's the same thing with farce, and maybe why that's why there's no peak farce. Farce just creates more farce. And I think we have some good evidence for that this week. So let's get into it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. The first thing I wanted to talk about this week, William, is a story that really, to me, gets to the heart of sports and professional sports. And what I mean by that is when people talk about professional wrestling, and this isn't a story about professional wrestling, but I want to make this segue and make this connection. Professional wrestling is an actual sport. It's a performance. But people talk about in it, you have to have a level of trust in your opponent, they say. It's not a real opponent, right? The person you're performing with, that when they're doing moves, they're not going to hurt you or they're going to protect you. And I think that kind of applies, William, in actual competition. And what I mean by that is there was a death in professional hockey in England's elite ice hockey league recently where, and this is what's crazy to me, William, a guy's throat was slit. slit. So Adam Johnson was... I don't know what you even say. I was about to say dribbling, but you don't dribble, right? He had he had the puck, and Matt Petgrave came at him, and his skate, Matt Petgrave's skate, his leg kicked in the air and cut across Adam Johnson's throat. And, William, if you've watched the video, you actually see, and I know the video is very grainy, but you see blood start pouring from Adam Johnson's throat. And I say pouring because the amount of blood that was on the ice when Adam Johnson was on his knees was an incredible amount. So I assume his jugular vein must have been hit, though I'm not a doctor. Uh, I guess they tried to get him to the hospital. He died on the way there. But here's my question for you, William. At what point are you legally culpable for harming another player in a sport. And what I mean by that is, isn't there a point where you're going beyond the agreement of the game? And is this such an instance? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to stomach the video, but I did watch it. Um, you know, we outside of this sort of fatal accident, we have seen hockey players charge in the past for, uh, assault, Right when the hockey fights tend to go too far. There's sort of a gentleman's agreement of how far you can go, right? If anyone used a skate during a fight, they would be ejected immediately, right? And and charged. Um, so we, we we have some precedents for for some situations like this. I think there is a, com- a, a, a complication here in that he the player whose skate came up was uh, made contact with another player as well. 
So, you know, there is there's very little evidence, I think, to say that this was intentional to go for his neck. Now, was this intentional to kick out? That's a different question, and I'm not sure. If we can just look at the video, I'm not sure. The history of this player is, I guess, he is kind of the enforcer on the team, so he is the one that tends to get physical, but I almost would hold that person to a higher standard. They're the one who tends to get physical. They should know more about, you know, like you said, they, you, you trust that person to take legal hits, right? Legal checks, right? Um, know know right. the limits really well. Um, right. It's it, To me, it's an argument for with what you're saying. It's an argument about negligence than it is about intent. I, I don't think this would be murder because I don't think Petgrave intended, like you said, to to cut the throat. I mean, if you're intending to kill someone on the on the hockey rink on the ice, is the easiest way to do that to kick your skate in the in the air and somehow aim for his yeah. neck? Yeah. But my thing is, regardless of if you're trying to kick your leg back and trip him or not. How out of control do you have to be to be a professional athlete and your skate kicks in the air? And you know how heavy hockey skates are? Kicks in the air and slices across a guy's throat. There is a level of negligence there that I am uncomfortable with. Because one of the things that's always bothered me about sports, and I assume it's getting worse based upon, you know, the way people drive and the way people are in public with just not caring about other people is the people who want to win, not within the spirit of the game. Mm. And what I mean by that is look at the the concept of the enforcer in hockey. It's what you just said. The enforcer is a legitimate role if they are doing legal hits, if they are being a more physical style play within the rules of the game, because then you're trying to win within the spirit of hockey, which is trying to measure certain skills. But if you start doing things like, oh, I'm going to trip this guy, well, then you're no longer interested in playing hockey. You're interested in pretending to play hockey and manipulate the rules and hope you get away with enough that you can steal a victory. Mm -hmm. And that's always bothered me. And I think this is more of an instance of that than anything. But as you said, I don't know if we can see that 100% on the on the video video. Well, Justin, I mean, some of the players have come out and said that this is just a freak accident to leave the poor guy alone. So do you, Justin, do you give any weight to that? Because those players on both sides of the ice. Yeah, and you have to give weight to that. And I think ultimately, because it's a one off and because I can't remember anything like this ever happening again, sort of like the the Hamlin thing for the Bills, that it's a tragedy. We look at it and we have this discussion and we hope it can teach us things moving forward. But because it's not a pattern of events, I think we have to trust the experts here. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's really tough because those people will always have defenders and it will never be fully rational. So do we want to trust them? I don't think we trust the people. I think we trust the people plus the pattern. And when they say freak accident and we've never seen this before, then I think we just have to say that, yeah, it's a freak accident. And then we start to discuss, well, do they want to have neck guards in hockey or is that an overreaction in the same way masks were an overreaction to COVID? Yep. Agreed. Which, by the way, William, while we're talking about masks real quick, I learned that straws are masks for the mouth. Yes. And what I mean by that is, 
I looked up because with the whole paper straw thing, I was like, why do we even use straws to begin with? And I looked it up and straws were created because they're supposedly more hygienic because it prevents you from getting fewer germs because you're not using glasses or the paper or the plastic or whatever. So you know what I've done? I've stopped using straws. Well, straws make sense. I would say like if I'm on a drive, right? Straws make sense there, right? I mean, I guess you could use the, if you have a bottle, you know, uh, but straws do make sense there. Uh, I've, no, because I've, I've spilled. Uh, you know what's worse? When you spill a, the worst is when you spill a protein shake. Yeah, you with that when you're driving. I did that once, and I was like, uh-huh. never, never That's drinking the a same protein story shake. I tell car. people too. Yeah, it's just a protein shake that I spilled. It's the same story I tell too. <laughs> All right, you know what? Let's let's clean this up a little bit, <laughs> okay. and let's talk about some of the most magical farce on earth with Ooh, Disney. Baby. All right, the first is. The uh, the Disney snowballing continues, and <laughs> William, you had a reaction when I shared this in the group thread, that Disney is officially taking full ownership of Hulu. So the Walt Disney Company announced that it will acquire the 33% stake in Hulu held by Comcast, NBC Universal, following Comcast's November 1st exercise of its right under the put-slash-call agreement between the two companies. The acquisition of Comcast stake in Hulu at fair market value will further Disney's streaming objectives. Under the terms of the put-call agreement, by December 1st, Disney expects it will pay NBCU approximately $8.61 billion. So, more than double what they paid for Star Wars, they're paying for 33% of Hulu. Yeah, wow. So... We covered this, if you remember, I don't remember about how long ago, but I I had mentioned it, that there was a big, that when we were talking about some of the financial troubles uh, uh, that Disney was having, that they had this giant bill that was due. There was no way for them to get out of this um, and not like bankrupting Disney. So that's why they're doing this. They have to do this. Um, this is a, a deal they struck way back when with, I guess, Comcast, NBC or whoever else used to own hulu um and so they had to do this uh but justin we've we've seen the sort of deterioration of the streaming services right like what is is do you think disney's just going to roll this into disney plus is there you know they they had been shifting more mature content from and i'm putting that in scare quotes from disney plus over to hulu um you know, we've got, I think we even have a Marvel Studios release that's coming out on Hulu, right? That's a, um, that's a trailer takedown. Um, or, or are they going to just try to combine this? Cause Disney plus has been a huge, just like freaking money pit. And, uh, and Disney's not doing too well financially. Their stock is way down. So I think, what you're talking about rolls into our next Disney story. So this is all kind of under the most magical farce on earth. And I think those are the right questions to ask. And I do have answers for you, but I want to bring in to the conversation, the other major story about Disney's this week, which is all about the Marvel stuff, right? Where variety had an article this week called crisis at Marvel. And it's all about the problems with it, which I don't think the problems come from Marvel. I think the problems come from streaming for what you're saying, William. So um, let me read some of this. 
The source of Marvel's current troubles can be traced back to 2020. That's when the COVID pandemic ushered in a mandate to help boost Disney's stock price with an endless torrent of interconnected Marvel content for the studio's fledgling streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. According to the plan, there would never be a lapse in superhero fare, with either a film in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. But the ensuing tsunami of spandex, say that three times fast, the ensuing tsunami of spandex, I will give the variety writer credit for alliteration, proved to be too much of a good thing. And the demands of churning out so much programming tax the Marvel apparatus. Moreover, the need to tease out an interwoven storyline over so many disparate shows, movies, and platforms created a muddled narrative that baffled viewers. So I'm going to go into some other stuff in a second, but I think William right here, a smaller problem for Marvel that I would put under here that Disney did not get out ahead of is that's a problem in the comics industry. Is it not an interwoven storylines with so many disparate shows, movies and platforms created a muddled narrative that baffled viewers. Isn't that a problem with comics that it never ends and that it's just all over the place. Yeah. It becomes a soap opera. Right. It, well, I, not it, go ahead. I was going to say, Justin, but it, are, are, it, we've got to read this because it's from Variety. Aren't they also missing the elephant in the room, the woke storylines, the stories that people didn't want, the chickenfication well, right. of the entire Marvel universe? Uh, you know, Mar- all of Marvel Phase Four was all about girl power, right? Well, it still is. I mean, the Marvels is coming out when this podcast, the week this podcast is released, this episode is released, the Marvels is coming out. It's the, it's the Hindenburg about to crash. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right, but I, I think that even goes back to streaming. Yeah. William, I really do. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this next paragraph and then I'm going to explain to you why and what I think the issue is. There are signs that the flood of product is leading people to tune out. I'm not prepared to call it a permanent fall, but based on the numbers that go with Marvel podcasts, Marvel-based articles, friends who do Marvel-based video coverage, all of these numbers are significantly down, says Joanna Robinson, co-author of the New York Times bestseller MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, who is a writer and podcaster at The Ringer. The quality is suffering. In 2019 at the peak, if you put Marvel Studios in front of something, people were like, oh, that brand means quality. That association is no longer the case because there have been so many projects that felt half-baked and undercooked. Now, this half-baked and undercooked, William, is related to the woke stuff you're talking about. But as we talked about last episode, it's not go woke, go broke. I don't remember what we said the answer was. But the issue here to me is, look, look at it this way. What is the most popular ride at Walt Disney World right now? It's Guardians of the Galaxy. Likewise, at Disneyland, at Hollywood Studio, not Hollywood, California Adventure, the reskin of Tower of Terror to Guardians of the Galaxy has been immensely successful. But what did they do in creating both those rides? They stayed within their profit margin. They stayed within their market. I've mentioned this before on the show. This this is the streaming bubble in the same way there was a dot-com bubble where everybody thought, ooh, if we just put a website up, we'll make more money. So everybody had to have a website. But what were they doing? 
throwing money away. Well, it's the same thing here streaming-wise. Everybody thought they needed content to drive users to their platform. But then they never thought, how are we going to monetize them besides getting them subscribed? William, how in the history of entertainment has content been funded? Uh, What have they used? Advertisements. Advertisements. They made the mistake of thinking moving to streaming would eliminate the need for advertisement. I think this addresses everything you've said. One, yes, fold Hulu into Disney+. Plus. So when you log into Disney+, Plus, there are a number of channels. There's the Hulu channel, the Marvel channel, the, the Muppets channel, the Pixar channel. And based on the channel you go to, different advertisers will want to reach those different customer bases. So the advertising experience you are going to get is different. And then based on the revenue you get from that channel, you can then create content for that channel. Likewise, because all they thought they had to do was throw money at content creators, it created a way too big opportunity for people to pitch And get money for content that wasn't quality. Remember the meme that South Park did? Yeah. Hello, Netflix, you're greenlit. Hello, Netflix, you're greenlit. Yeah. And at the time, the quote-unquote woke people had the rhetoric that who do they represent? It's the old collectivist communist rhetoric. Oh, we represent the people. We're for the people. We're the people's party. Well, if you want to draw the the people to your platform and they're telling you, Oh, we, we are what the people want. Aren't you going to throw money at them? But if they were truly looking at how to make money, they would have seen what have they done here, William? Haven't they all just thrown money into a fire pit? Yeah. Isn't the reason Disney is suffering now? They just paid $8.6 billion for what? A platform that's just named differently? They just paid it for the name. They already yeah. have their own infrastructure. They already have Disney Plus. They paid eight point six billion for thirty three percent of a name. Who? Well, this gets back. This gets back to Bob Iger, right? He wanted Disney Plus. They already had part of Hulu, right? He's put his reputation on Disney Plus. And Justin, the latest rumors from out of Hollywood, because you know I'm still tuned into those, is that uh, there's a there's a George Lucas and a couple other of the big shareholders enough to equal, including Apple. Uh, uh, you know, good old uh, Tim Apple. Uh, had a meeting a couple weeks ago. If you put their shares together, that's 65% of Disney. We could see a complete turnover of the board here in December. 100% turnover. And so this is, if Bob Iger was trying to cement his legacy with Disney Plus and Marvel and, uh, you know, if everything we read in his book about um, how he thought, uh, screwing over George Lucas was such a good idea, and how Marvel was a huge success, and Disney Plus was a huge smart business move. Like that's all about to come down in shambles. So I expect if if the Marvels is a giant flop, which all indications are it will be, and there's no other positive Disney news, I mean from the parks or anywhere, um, it's going to be a bloodbath here when the elections, when the board elections come up in December. You could As have, you could have, be. you could have either. 
complete turnover of the board or Apple acquire Disney, right? It's yeah, crazy I don't to think, think about. App- I don't think Apple's going to acquire Disney, but I think there could well, be Apple, a full turn. If Apple and George Lucas and uh, that, what's the crazy guy, the uh, activist investor guy, all get together and pool their shares, that's 65%. What's the difference between them acquiring it and just installing all Apple board members, right? Apple-approved board members. It'll It's going to be an interesting time here in December to see how this plays out. It is. It is. But, William, I'm sorry not to, like, minimize your point. I don't think any of this matters if people don't accept that we are we need to have advertising on streaming. Uh, how Nothing will I changes. skip the ads? How will I skip the ads? What's going to end up happening is there's just going to be more piracy again where people yeah. record it and then upload it and the people we're just going to go back to torrenting and what we were before all the streaming services. And, and I think physical media as well. You know, yes. you know, 4K well, that's Blu-rays, the other value. 4K, 4K Blu-rays are great, you know? Think uh, about Netflix. Think about Netflix. You know what they've never sold? An army of the dead Blu-ray. Think of what the, the market they're losing is. Yeah. They could be making money off. These studios have killed the physical media profit for them by saying, oh, you just need to subscribe to us because they thought keeping us on the dole of a monthly payment would make them more money than combining advertising with selling us ownership, which was the model that worked forever. And it's no one has come up with a better model, and I can't think of a better model right now. Look, yeah. I, I think it's great that Bob Iger is going to be undermined because... This goes back to what I've been saying. You know, Bar- Bob Iger went to Ithaca College. Ithaca College is one of the sources of this far-left social justice movement in this country. And I'm not claiming go woke, go broke with Bob Iger. But what I am claiming is they are putting profits above values. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is ultimately the perspective of Social justice, collectivism is pragmatic more than anything. It's the system is flawed. We represent the people and we must tear down the the system in order to have our voices be heard. And that means we have to appeal to as many people as possible. Bob Iger was never about what is Disney. Bob Iger was about making Disney own the market. And what have they done? When when kids hear William can say to me, Disney needs to stop pandering and they need to go back to what Disney is, there's a problem. Yeah. Didn't South Park <laughs> just do that whole special? Yeah. Where they was, the, the Pandaverse? I liked it. Yeah. Oh, it was tremendous. It called out Kathleen Kennedy for the problems. It called out the people calling out Kathleen Kennedy for their problems. And yeah. that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Is it's it's a collection of people who are disconnected from reality, which I think is not uncommon in our culture and leads into our next story. So you sent in an article about a topic you love that we talk about all the time here in the midside. It's in the New Yorker. It's called what happened to San Francisco really? Because now the New Yorker needs to have their say. Now here's the thing about this article, William. Holy shit. Is it long winded? Oh, man. however, well, it's, I guess that's a New Yorker article for you. Correct. However, it doesn't really say anything. So so the beginning of the article, 
Nine years ago, when HBO premiered the series Silicon Valley, a deadpan comedy lampooning the Bay Area's lifestyle blandishments and hapless global power, the city seemed to exist in a helium balloon, floating ever upward. Now the same place is viewed as an emblem of American collapse. In San Francisco, the nation saw its dreams, and now it, it thinks it sees its nightmares. The question is, what caused so swift a change? First question for you, William. First of all, I can't believe it's been nine years since Silicon Valley premiered. However, correct me if I'm wrong. When Silicon Valley premiered, San Francisco was already on its way downhill, was it not? Yes. we had uh, Even 10 years ago, we had... Um, uh, the initial rise of, uh, um, homelessness, the solution was to allow open drug use. Right. Um, and then, uh, we had, uh, people, f- uh, all the NIMBY fighting for any sort of housing improvements. Right. Uh, they were fighting Meta's new campus. Cause I don't think that had been built or completed yet or something. There was something to do with, uh, uh, back then it would have been Facebook's new campus back then. I'm trying to put my, my timeline hat on. It's hard to think that far back what the order of events were but even back then we were co- you know we were covering and I'm, and and people were talking about how San Francisco was having having issues even back then like there was a a, a tremendous amount of concern over uh uh affordable housing and the fact that uh, all these rich people were buying up the houses right all these rich uh, tech uh, tech bros. It was all about the tech bros ruining San Francisco, even back then. Correct. And I think that that little statement there shows one of the major flaws in this article and one of the major flaws in San Francisco and in our culture. And what I mean by that is I had actually laid out a lot in our outline about a stuff I wanted to read, but talking pre-show and thinking about it, it's all the same stuff over and over again. It's all just people saying, I don't know what the problem is. I don't understand it or blaming something else. So first it talks about the Westfield Mall and they're saying what the issue is. Then it talks about the mayor saying what the issue is and all of it's blaming other people. A really representative one that I think is interesting here is um, there's who is this? I don't even know who this person is. It doesn't matter. Talking about Twitter and changing it, it says the fact that they were able to label blah, 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 the fact that they were able to lay off like 80% and the service is still up and running show, shows the amount of bloat, the layers of management, people eating free lunch on the rooftops. Right, and then they talk about all the different apps that um, were created there and all the different tech stuff. And here's my theory. Okay. Okay. So they, they end the article with this guy, Jacob Blind. Bindman, who was a recent college graduate during the pandemic and found himself looking for a job. And he created something called the San Francisco New Deal, where originally it started with just bringing meals to people who need it. But then the project is described as the following. Today, his project, a nonprofit called San Francisco New Deal, works with Dennis Phillips' office as a liaison between the city government, private donors, and small businesses to which it offers services. It runs a transportation program for workers and helps businesses bring outdoor dining structures into compliance. And now, with Dennis Phillips, it places businesses, artists, and pop-ups 
in empty spaces around town. All the while, it collects data to fine-tune its services to suit common needs. I think what San Francisco New Deal represents is the very obvious answer, which is everyone, everyone is responsible, Bindman said. He took a sip of coffee and looked up. The only solution that's a real solution is a solution in which everyone is involved. This, William, goes exactly back to what I was talking about with Marvel, where people with a collectivist perspective keep claiming, oh, well, it, we appeal to the people and it's about the people working together. And we've talked about this before, where they move to certain areas and they try to implement their ideas. And then it doesn't when it doesn't work, they blame the people. Oh, yeah. it's everyone's fault. Well, yeah. the reason it's everyone's fault, William, here we go. Let me finish and then you can go. The reason it's everyone's fault is they're not looking at who are the people who are coming. They said it in the article. It's a bunch of people on the roofs eating free lunch. What happens is a bunch of people come together who don't want to do anything and just want free money and a free life, and then everything falls apart. You can blame it on the politics. You can blame it on the ideas. It's much simpler than that. It's a bunch of people who don't really want to do work, and they keep going to the same places. It's what happened at Marvel. They don't really want to create good content. It's what happened at Disney. They didn't really want to work. They just wanted to rely on the Marvel name and the Disney name. And it's what's happening in San Francisco. Nobody wants to do work. They just want to go get funded by a VC or get government money to just do what the VC or government tells them to do. Yep. I think you're right, Justin. It's what was in the 80s and 90s, a culture of innovation became something, like you said, more of a, a, a culture of leeches. And, uh, you remember that video we had of the uh, person doing the day in the life? We covered that, uh, that was it an Instagram story or Snapchat story? I can't remember what, uh, of, uh, the day in the life. And it was like, oh, I had like one meeting and then I played ping pong and then I ate my free, uh, you know, whatever vegetable, uh, uh drink, uh, my smoothie, like whatever. And it was just, that, you know, oh, and then we went to happy hour at four. And it's just, it's crazy, you know, I, I think pre-show I told you, Justin, this story was equal parts just straight up evasion sprinkled in with like some truths. And you had mentioned like, but not the full truth, right? They didn't go all the way on the truth side. And it's yes. it's crazy to think about, right? Like, you know, just to pick apart one, they they talked about the mall and they're like, well, you know, malls are failing across the country. Well, yeah, they are. But but you could have said that at any time since the like 1999, right? Why is it happening now in San Francisco? Justin, all they're doing is externalizing the fault of everything, right? Because guess Correct. what? Even if 100% of the people in San Francisco all agreed exactly, they would still externalize it and say, well, it's those people uh, in Sacramento that are the problem, right? Or or the people uh, in Texas that are the problem. That's why we're having so many problems in San Francisco. Well, they, would, they, they would just they continue did. to Look. externalize, right? Right. And they did it in the way they always do it in California. They talked about how large their economy is versus the rest of the world and rest of the country. They do that in L.A. and they do that at San Francisco. Well, it's the fault of the rest of the country. They would fail without us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting way to externalize it. Right. And just pretend like there's no uh, there's no, you know, pretend like everything that's happened in San Francisco since the 80s has just not been of their own choosing right of actual people making actual choices in this city and just pretending like things aren't there or aren't a problem right i think at one point they said oh yeah you know crime is down in san francisco 
crime isn't down in San Francisco. Anyone who lives there can tell you that. Now, the reporting yeah. of crime has gone down, but you can't park your car on in the city streets, right? There's whole neighborhoods you can't park your car. You, your window will get smashed. And that's not what a city is supposed to be like, right? Like, there are there are cities of comparable size, at least on the density level, that don't have these kinds of problems. And, like, when you talked about the collectivism, there's a bit of this... You've talked about it before. California always wants to compare themselves to Florida because, you know, uh, they, they're threatened by it, right? Um, there's a, a sense of not trying to make their city the best city for them. Instead, they want to point out how it's just the best city as compared to everyone else, right? It's sort of this not not living up to your own standard, but, you know, being very second-handed about it. I think San Francisco should just rename itself to the second-handed city. And then we can all, you know, like Baltimore's a city that reads um, with the lowest uh, literacy rate. Uh, they should... Uh, they should rename San Francisco the second-handed city because it's really just becoming that. Now, can they turn it around? Yes, of course. We've seen New York, uh, you know, turn itself around in the past, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, that with uh, you know, with interest rates the way they are, the free money spigot being turned off at least for now, um, there's whole parts of San Francisco that are just going to collapse. All these tech startups, you know, you talked about the dot-com bubble earlier. Um, what you know. We we have a huge bubble right now. X has raced uh raced to uh cut all the uh you know fat from uh from uh the former Twitter. Uh there's tons of tech companies that they're not done yet. They haven't they haven't cut deep enough to get rid of this sort of lazy managerial class. Well, yeah, and the, it, it goes back to what we were talking about with Disney, where it's the same thing that's going to happen. It's going to happen across all of these platforms and all of these apps. Look, Uber was never going to continue to exist in the way that it does with the terrible customer service. Oh, yeah. right? Uber exists based on the idea that, oh, we can alienate all our customers because they need us. It's it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, Uber was trying to basically get free money oh if we just offer this service people will just give us free money and this is why they're second-handed and this is why they externalize because yeah. when you're trying to get things for free that means you're getting it from other people and it will always be that way and yes they can turn it around if they turn around to being productive I, again yeah i have a great idea they should just have advertisements so you know when the door when the uber eats person comes to your door you have to sit at the ipad and watch an advertisement before he'll give you your food how about that? I mean, you joke, but have you seen cabs and Uber drivers where they oh, have yeah. Yeah, iPads Vegas, it's with all ads over in the them? Place. Yeah, it's all ads and then those gotcha games where they want you to put your credit card in. Yeah, which I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, cabs used to have advertisements on them, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, think of ways to integrate advertising in a way that's not abrasive. Think of ways to integrate advertising into your apps. Stop trying to monetize people. And what I mean by that is, is I don't mean that don't try and get people's money, but don't just think that, oh, if we have subscribers and users, that means we have money. Isn't that the same mistake we were just saying about streaming? Isn't that yeah. the same mistake of they're basically making in this article? 
Yeah. Oh, we have all, a lot of money and we have a lot of people. Therefore, we should have a lot of success and happiness. Yeah, I'll have to it find the article. I'll, I'll have to find the article. Maybe we can talk about it one week. But there's this concept called of inshitification, where uh, a lot of tech startups they start off building their audience by by having uh, great features. Like for YouTube is a good example of this. YouTube started out being really, really good for content creators. And then once they got all the content creators, they focused on the audience for a while, getting good audience, okay? Then they shifted to uh, the advertisers, right? Like basically being the best for advertisers. And along the way, what happens is at first they, like as a content creator, things are really good. And then all of a sudden, when the shift focuses to the you know, the other capture, it just gets shittier and shittier for the content creators. At this point, it's it, you know a content creator really has the short end of the stick on a lot of these services like Twitch and YouTube. And now it's starting to happen the, because inshitification continues. Now it's getting bad for the users, right? The Twitch users are having problems. So YouTube users are having like features taken away from them, like thumbs down, right? You can't thumbs down anymore. Um, the the you you can't use ad blockers anymore, right? Um, you. you you uh your privacy you can't you can't browse privately on youtube uh there's only certain content that you're you can see when uh uh you have to be logged in and you can't turn the history off um and they call it the inshitification and it's just a natural evolution of this focus on like you said getting focusing on the network effect and not the actual product that you're trying to deliver right youtube was about broadcast yourself right and now it's not now it's about the advertisers, right? And and the audience that the the thing that makes the value for them is disconnected from the uh, actual value creators, the people who are creating content. So well, and that's exactly what I was saying about Disney. It's yeah. profits over values. What is the value your company offers and it's creating? That's your place in the marketplace. And the irony here is in the short term, you will see a climb in your profits. And Disney saw that. I mean, Disney's yeah. stock price almost went up to 200 when they launched Disney Plus, if you remember. Yeah. In the sh- and this is a microcosm. But what you are sacrificing is long-term sustainability of your company because when your company goes away from what it is producing, the value it creates, you will lose the consumer. So the way to maximize your profits is to be sustainable by figuring out how to optimize the value you are creating and then find out what your market share is. But everybody nowadays, we talked about this where the Boy Scouts were trying to get the girls into the Boy Scouts. Everybody now is trying to get 100% market share. Yeah. Nobody's trying to say, what is our optimal market share for the value we're trying to create? And that sustainability is how we create the best possible product and version of ourselves. It's the same thing here with all of these companies in San Francisco. It's the same thing for the city of San Francisco. And it's the same thing for Disney and William. What you're saying is it's creating that worse experience for everyone. Yeah. And I think there's no better example right now than the music industry and what i mean is you saw recently that the taylor swift eras tour had the movie that was released into theaters and now they're doing that with beyonce as well yeah well 
they're doing that because, again, they want a better market share because what they've done is priced the average person and the normal person out of going to a concert. Now, I know you don't feel it because, William, how much do you pay for a pop punk concert? I mean, probably 35 to $65, right? Right. And then because of that, you can go and maybe if you go to House of Blues, you can get a burger or some chicken fingers or you can buy some merch as well to support the bands. Yeah. So Newfound Glory may not be making a shitload of money, but I would say Newfound Glory has maximized its market share. So they've become sustainable as a band. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they've created a good experience for who they're appealing to. Now, take a look at. How much does a concert ticket cost to go to Taylor Swift to go to Beyonce? I have no idea, but I think it would involve a mortgage. Exactly. It's hundreds of dollars. We're talking the same thing going to an NFL game. Now, look at this story that came out of Argentina, another Variety article. Taylor Swift fans in Argentina have camped out in tents for five months in order to be front row at the Eras Tour. People are very upset with us. They're reporting on a Pitchfork article. So we just talked about the Eras Tour, right? It's become the highest grossing concert film of all time with over $200 million at the World Box Office. The tour is going to kick back off in real life is Swift performs three concerts in Buenos Aires, Argentina on November 9th, 10th, and 11th. Some diehard Swift fans with general admission tickets have taken their love for the Grammy winner to a whole new level by camping out in tents near the Estadio River Plate Stadium in hopes of securing spots as close to the stage as possible. The camping started, William. Ready for this? June. So the concert is in November. (laughs) The camping started in June. So a 21-year-old Swifty told Pitchfork, We've been in this tent for five months. I usually tell my dad I'm at a park drinking mate with someone or visiting a friend of mine who lives near the stadium. The Swifty did not want to have her, and excuse me if I'm projecting a gender here, but on the condition, I didn't want her name to be said. She wanted to be anonymous so that her father doesn't find out. William, this is what I am telling you about. Who is, what is this person doing but looking for a free lunch? She's not doing anything. She's just trying to exist off of her dad. She's lying to her dad in order to do this. And that makes it so the normal person who may be a Taylor Swift fan, for whatever fucking reason, I don't know why you'd be a Taylor Swift fan, can't go to a Taylor Swift concert because you have to live off of somebody else. It has to be your, your job to be a leech and live off of somebody else in order to actually attend a Taylor Swift concert and be in the front row. So a couple more things from the article. According to Pitchfork, fans have been occupying four tents outside the stadium, taking turns in carefully planned rotations. An internal spreadsheet created by two organizers and updated by assigned administrators keeps track of around 60 folks per tent. Most of them are young women, but no one under 18 is allowed. Based on a ranking system, gathering everyone's total time, the longer you've been in a tent, the higher chances of being one of the first in line. The fact that there are so many people makes things easier, 20-year-old named Irina told Pitchfork, adding that her mother is comfortable where they're camping out as long as she doesn't get bad grades in college. We all have different schedules, and you fit yours amongst them. Per the publication, sleepovers are now mandatory at least once a month, alongside a minimum of 60 monthly hours to maintain one spot. 
People are very upset with us camping for some reason, a fan named Carmen said. Sometimes you're lying down and you hear someone scream, go to work at 2 a.m. And I love this. It's like you're the one who's outside of a tent shouting at 2 in the morning. Aren't you supposed to work tomorrow? Does it really affect you that much? I'm not the one who's sleeping on the street. Or I'm the one who's sleeping on the street, not you. (laughs) William... It does affect the person. Maybe that person is on the way to work or on the way, on back, the way back from work yeah, more likely on the and way is back. upset because you are doing nothing, getting a free lunch, essentially, to do what? Make their streets look worse? Make the aesthetic of the community they live in worse? So they're essentially living to put up with you? Justin, this I is... have a great uh, business idea. We'll just hire some... Uh, uh, you know, Uber uh, people to just stand in line out there and camp out and just get all the hours and then we'll sell it to someone else. See, we can be, we can be, we can turn this into an entrepreneurial uh, activity that can, we'll have people stand in line for you. I would then go back to what you were saying of uh, what's the value you're trying to create here. (laughs) Right. Aren't you just taking it? This is that's that's the San Francisco mentality. Yeah. Is it yeah. not? Yeah. Oh, we're is. just going to get free money off of their free money. That's yeah. all that is. Yeah. You're not really providing a value. And, and that's the entire point I'm making here is, look, remember when Elliot asked if there would be peak farce with the kid who tried to kill his mother over his phone? Now yeah. look at what we're at. Dude, they've made a job out of standing in line. Yeah. They've Man, created if, bureaucracy. Can you imagine created if, someone, the government. if someone had put this much dedication into their schoolwork or into their relationships or career or I mean, because it's not the reason I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't want to fault anyone necessarily for having a different value than me. Like, I can't imagine valuing Taylor Swift being the front row of Taylor Swift concerts so much that I would give up months and months and months of my life. At the same time, though, I can't help but think that this is not rational. (laughs) You know, like I can't imagine. Let me put it to you this way with what (laughs) you're saying. I completely recognize that people have different values. hundred percent. Right. I can sit here and make fun of Taylor Swift. I don't get it. Uh, I, I think Taylor Swift, she's admitted in her music to being a narcissist. Right. I mean, listen to the song Antihero. She admits to being a narcissist. Why you would continue to be a fan of somebody who admits to manipulating you. And being in that way, I don't know. I don't get it, but whatever, you have different values. But let me put it this way. I never saw Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. Why not? Because look at the amount of money and time it would have cost me to do so. Yeah. When you Besides, if you went there, you wouldn't have been able to watch it with us altogether. Well, right. There's there's also that discussion of what the alternative is. Yes, but that's part of the point I'm making. This show is three days, and presumably you're only going to one. Maybe you're going all three. If you are harming your life immeasurably in the long run to only live for one or three days, then it's irrational. This is the same people who say high school or college is the best years of your lives. What are you just supposed to commit suicide after high school or college? Well, my life's peaked. I'm done. It's the same thing here. What are they doing to their lives? They're going to come out the other side of this, William, like the city of San Francisco. They're going to come out 
and say, oh, it's everybody else's fault because I don't have the life I want. No, you don't have the life you want because you decided going to this concert was the only thing that mattered in life. When what are you doing? Art should be fuel for the soul. It should not be destruction for your life. Yeah. I can imagine someone someone in this 60 person or whatever, however many people are in line here, uh, who's going to put that on their resume that they uh, they once spent six months? Who's going to be impressed by that story, right? Who's, who, who, what, what, uh, what, what does it show about your character? I think it's important to think of those ways, right? I'm not saying you should put, you know, like that's, I'm not saying to think secondhanded about it at all, but I'm saying like, Try to look at it from an outsider's perspective and think, does this make sense? You know, and I, I agree with you. It doesn't make sense. Well, let me ask or let me say it in a more um, and let me say it a different way. When you're talking about character, essentially, the point we're making is every decision you make and every action you take, you create yourself. Who are you creating? And that's what we were saying about these companies, weren't we? What kind yeah. of company are you creating if you're only concerned about market share? If all you're concerned about is the other people and you're not concerned about, are we being ourselves, right? Say what you want about Hallmark Christmas movies, William. There is a kernel of truth in all of those where they're saying what matters is the value of Christmas. And again, we can argue if, you know, that's what really matters. But that's the basic conceit of those movies is there's a person who's lost themselves because they've lost the value of Christmas and they need to understand that what doesn't matter is all this other BS. What matters is creating the life you want so you can have the Christmas, the true Christmas experience. Right. And again, we don't have to accept the Christmas experience as the ultimate value, but that's the point they're making in the, the, it, that's appealing for a reason because they're making that point and women are watching it because they're yearning for that mm. because what are they seeing out there? Everything's just a market share. These companies aren't trying to create themselves. These girls, it says it's majority girls in, in this and others, right? It says it's majority women and others, but these young women are not creating themselves. All they're doing is, trying to go to a Taylor Swift show. So then who have you become? Someone who went to one Taylor Swift show. That's your entire life. That's your entire personality. That's everything you are. Is that not what you're trying to say, William? Yeah. Yeah. You got it. We're here for 80 to 100 years. Do things for 80 to 100 years. Don't do one thing for six months and then have that be your entire life. And this is what we were saying about all these things. You see how all these stories connect? Or am I crazy that I connected these? Or is that why people listen to this show? Because I see these patterns and connect these things. All I have to say is false dichotomy, bro. Like it's both. What's the false dichotomy? Uh, Are you crazy or... (laughs) (laughs) Seeing all these patterns has driven me crazy. Yeah, exactly. And that's why people listen to the show. Exactly. (laughs) People listen to the show because they want to listen to me go crazy as I identify the patterns. Exactly. Because one, they get to enjoy the patterns and two, they get to enjoy somebody going crazy. Uh, Yep. All right. Well, why don't we listen to me going crazy while I rant about the latest A24 film? Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Let's do it in The Hopeful Romantic with JML.
as always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there is the Midside join code. Uh, we had some good conversation this week about that article I mentioned earlier submitted by Midsider Lucid about how climate change killed the dinosaurs. Uh, William, you already mentioned it, but I loved your comment, too much fossil fuel use by T-Rex, because there's like a level of like irony there, like isn't existing just fossil fuel use by T-Rex? Yep. So, tremendous. And then you talked about survivor bias. We had uh, Midsider Josh in there, Midsider Edjo in there. A lot of great conversation. Of course, I also dropped the trailers in there for trailer takedown, so you can watch those ahead of time. I think that's probably always fun because, again, we sift through all the farce to bring stuff to you. Speaking of doing that, I want to do a couple reviews this week, William. The first is my wife brought me to an A24 film. Oh, So there was nothing really out this week. Well, there was, but the movie I wanted to see, and I will review it second, was Five Nights at Freddy's. And I saw it on Peacock because... The kids who saw it at school, and the kids are really hyped up about this movie, dude. Oh, yeah. And they were telling me how bad the theater experience is. So I just watched it on Peacock during the week. But then I had nothing to see, so my wife was like, let's see Priscilla. It's about Priscilla Presley's relationship and marriage with Elvis. And I was like, all right, you know, like, I really, you know, we gave the, uh, the Romantic Manifestation Award to the Elvis movie last year. Yeah. Right. It's a tremendous movie. And I think the more I reflect on life and our culture, and we have this podcast, the more I appreciate Elvis as an American icon, even, even within the movie Priscilla, like there's one point where they make a point of showing he gave her a gun as a gift. And then she had a different gun for a different outfit for every outfit. And they show them shooting guns and Elvis and all his friends have guns. I was like, wow, like Elvis was, pretty American and liked freedom. Like he could never exist in today's modern age. So I think I appreciate him even more. So I was like, okay, I'll see this movie. And then after we had the tickets and we already had plans to go, I was reading about the movie because it's directed by Sofia Coppola. And I was like, all right, well, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. I've actually never seen a movie by her. I should probably see a movie by her. Then I realized it was made by a 24. And then William, I saw the movie. Let me guess. It was the most romantic movie you've ever seen. (laughs) Yes, except the opposite. It was the most naturalistic movie I've ever seen, except she didn't die at the end. All that died was their relationship. (laughs) So here's my one sentence review. And I actually did two. Okay. The longer the movie goes on, the more glaring its stylistic and technical flaws become. William... As the movie continued, I realized how bad the acting was. Yeah. It just got to the point that there was one scene where, like, they were arguing in a Vegas hotel room, and they weren't even in the shot together. And when it was on her, and she was framed in the middle, she said her line, and, like, in my head, I was hearing the person off-screen reading Elvis's line, Jacob Elordi's line, to her so she could say her line. It didn't feel like she was having a conversation. It felt like she was doing a line reading. Jesus. Here's my other review. I don't know what's more insipid, 
Elvis and Priscilla's relationship or this movie about their relationship? William, nothing happens in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) You just walk in. The end. (laughs) It it actually got to the end. And I thought they were going to like after they got divorced, I thought they were going to do like falling action and everything. And you know how we've been talking about how there's no rising or falling action at all. Yeah, yeah. There was none in this movie. And I was actually thankful because it ended. Right. It got to the end and I was like, oh, God, please don't keep going. Because literally the movie starts on the base in Germany where some guy approaches Priscilla and was like, do you want to meet Elvis? And then she meets Elvis and then they have their courtship. She moves to to Graceland. They have their relationship. Then she divorces him and then it ends. That's the entire movie. Here is one of the hallmarks of naturalism. The only decision she makes in the entire movie is to divorce him. And it's never shown why she makes the decision or when she makes the decision. There's just a scene at the end of the movie where she's like, I'm leaving you. And that's it. Because the whole movie is about how he was in control of her life. And she just put up with it to be with him. They have some scenes where he gets mad at her sometimes. Like one time he throws a chair at her. Another time he yells at her and throws her on the ground. He apologizes both times after. Uh, Again, he gives her the gun. Uh, He gives her some sleeping pills and some different types of pills throughout. We know the famous story, you know, Elvis is, he was addicted to drugs and all of these things. But never in the movie is there any thematic resonance given to any of this. It's just things that happen. Do you think that that the A24 people are just like, oh, you know, that Elvis movie did really well. We'll just do one in our style. <laughs> and then they just... I 100% think that's what it is. I 100% think that's what it is. <clears throat> so how many Oscars will this win? I don't know. At the beginning, it said that she was... The, the girl who played Priscilla won an award at some film festival for Best Actress. Which for to me was movie? very, very sad. Yes. Wow. Okay. From what you described. Dude, literally, most of it takes place... She's just sitting around in Graceland and then he shows up and comes back and then he goes away and he comes back. That's the entire movie. And then randomly at a a point later in the movie, they start showing what he's doing when she's not around. It's like you've just broken the conceit of your own movie because you realize you couldn't even tell the story you're trying to tell. It's literally if you want to know what naturalism looks like, look at that and then go watch an episode of Mad Men because it's sort of like... Mad Men works because it has thematic resonance to it. They're pulling a thematic and philosophical string throughout their episodes and seasons. This doesn't. They kind of try to imply things like they try to imply Elvis was a pedophile because he met her when she was a freshman in high school. They try to imply that Elvis got her addicted to drugs and was abusive, but they just show what happens and you just sort of would have to read that into it yourself. Do you guess what I'm do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, the yeah. movie itself is not making that point. No like at no point is she like, "Oh man, this is bad for us, Elvis. We're hurting ourselves." There's no exaggeration or selection or point that's being made here. And I'm not arguing for message fiction, but I'm arguing you need some sort of sort of theme beyond we're just going to show what their life was like together. Because I do want to make the point that this was based on the book 
that Priscilla Presley published in 1985 called Elvis and Me. Like Roger and Me? So ultimately, I'm trying to get my review up here. Ultimately, I give Priscilla the lowest possible rating. One star, no bro. This is by far the worst movie of the year that I have seen. Yikes. Right at the end, A24 sneaks in the worst movie of the year. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. They could have had worse movies. I haven't seen... This is the only A24 movie I've seen this year. I thought I was going to get away without seeing an A24 movie. And then I saw this. Man, oh man. Okay. So very quickly, Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay. Five Nights at Freddy's is, of course, based on the video game franchise that's essentially about like an evil Chuck E. Cheese. Correct, William? Yes. I'm assuming you have some things to say about this because you're in the video game industry and you have a lot of interest in it. Here is my one sentence review. The video game series compelling iconography is combined with predictable plotting to remind us that what drives a horror franchise is its villain. And this movie needed more of its monster. Okay, so here's the deal. Everything about this movie is paid by the numbers. This seems like they're just trying to create a franchise with the trappings of a horror movie that's not really a horror movie because their core base isn't 18. So they can't make a R-rated horror movie because they would alienate their base. But everything that happened in it was super, super predictable, including the reveal of all the twists, the reveal of who the villain was. Right down to, you know how in Saw, William, the villain, Tobin Bell, is the best part? Jigsaw is the best part? Yeah. And the best part of every horror franchise is the villain? Yeah. I don't want to give away who the villain is, although if you're not an idiot and you hear me giving this review, you immediately know who the villain is from seeing the trailer. Like, I I don't mean to spoil it, but it's hard not to. Just just making the statement of if you've seen the trailer and you've listened to this show and you hear me say it's obvious. It's purple guy. (laughs) That scene is tremendous. The big boss fight is tremendous. It's a great scene. And I wish there had been more of that. But in that sense, it felt like they were just setting that up, especially when the villain's like, I always come back. You're saying in the first movie, you always come back? Don't you have to go away first to always come back? It just felt like they were setting up a franchise rather than they were making one movie. And I guess they do have plans full of, for a full trilogy. But what I want to be clear about, William, is one thing that's always stuck with me about Five Nights at Freddy's and why I wanted to finally engage with the franchise with what I know, which is movies and storytelling, is I think the visual design, the creative design at Five Nights at Freddy's is tremendous. If you look at all the characters and everything and the concept, and that was there. That was there. Like the design of the animatronics and the way everything looks, it's tremendous. So is this a great movie? No. Is this a bad movie? No. This is a middle of the road. This is, do you want me to give my official rating or do you want to say what you have to say first? Well, I was just going to say a couple things. So I I would say that it's, uh in place it's a it's a bad movie and a good movie at the same time i i think that's really what it is and what i mean by that is it did a lot of things right it had some good fan service it 
kind of, you know, there's some liberties they had to take with the lore to, you know, fit it into a film, which is good. But then sometimes Dude, I have just never, kind of, can I just stop you right there? I'm sorry. I have never heard the the word lore so much than in the past week. Yeah. If one more fucking high school kid comes up to me and goes, well, you need to know the lore. No, I should not have to know exactly. the lore That's to exactly know the to watch your movie. Make, is that this movie, I think, aired too far into fan service and not into making a good film. Right. And not, you know, not to toot my own horn as an Academy Award winner, but this is what Arcane did well. Right. They weren't a slave to the lore and to fan service. There was definitely some fan service in there. You had a, you know the epic fight between um, Vi and uh, Jinx and Echo, right? Um, but you you make a compelling story, and they have a compelling story, right? But I think they and and they had the great visuals. I I think they just didn't have they didn't bring in a good screenwriter, Justin. I think that's really what it comes down to. I, I think. You're saying, well, it, it would have been better if it was R. That's probably true, but I think I think it I think they just needed a better screenwriter. I don't know. So what what was your overall rating? Well, I I do think it would have been better if it's R and a better screenwriter. But the screenwriter would have helped them decide if they wanted to do a drama That's or really a horror. True. Yeah. Where this is right in between. Because you could go I'm pure ask you, psychological. You could go pure yes. psychological, everything off screen, yes. and this could have worked as well. Hundred percent. I I agree with you completely. William, and I, I have a question from for you. Says you are a hundred percent correct. That's I knew you were going to hit that thank drop you. the second I said a hundred percent. You know, I say a hundred percent in my daily life now. Like when I'm talking <laughs> to people and they're right about something, I go, "You're a hundred percent correct." <laughs> I say that all the time now. It's become like an accidental uh, JML catchphrase. Oh, um, I have a question for you. Okay. The only time I have heard the word lore is with Five Nights at Freddy's. Is this a video game terminology? Uh, yes. Okay. And one of the cameos that you probably didn't pick up, up on was Matt Pat when he comes in and says, that's just, just a theory. He's the, probably the number one reason why kids know this, right? He has a channel on YouTube, uh, called film theory and game theory. And he, where he talks about the lore of a lot of games and, and film and things like that. They, they break down film and have theories about, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Chewbacca's planet or uh, what would happen, you know, what are the physics of Mario? What would happen if you jumped on someone's head? Like things like that, right? Like, and it's got good animation, good style. And he's been around YouTube a long time. He's probably got like 70 some videos on Five Nights at Freddy's. All right. And everybody watches those videos. All the, all the children watch those videos. He, they get, he gets millions and millions of views on those videos. So much so that uh, uh, he got a cameo in this film. So that's why they know Lord is because of, I, I blame 100% him. I mean, most some people would say it's Markiplier and his video and, and PewDiePie because they did videos when that first came out, but I think the reason it has staying power is all him. Okay, so it sounds to me like lore is more of like a technical, pragmatic workings of the universe, which is something we always complain about when people talk about plot holes, yeah. because the word I have always used, and I think it is more applicable, is mythology. The mythology of the universe matters more than the lore of the universe, correct? Oh, well, what what do you see as the subtle difference there? Well, I just told you. Lore is what you said when you said, what would happen if Mario jumped on somebody's head? Yeah. Mythology is, why is it that Mario jumps on someone's head? What does that have to do with the storytelling? How does that connect to the theme? See the difference? Yeah. Yep. I didn't see that. Well, you know, would you, let's bring it to another example like Star Wars, you know. 
remember uh i i had a lot of objections to the uh the holdo maneuver right like that like this breaks this breaks the lore is what i would have said and i think i did say because even though it is now in the mythology of the film and presumably it connected with the broken ass themes of of the newer films it breaks the physics and the way fighting worked in that universe right it changed things from being like naval battles in space to like now everyone has a weapon of mass destruction right like it it broke the lore in other words like you there's nowhere to take the story is is it more better or more better is it more correct to say it breaks the mythology in that case yes although what's the waldo maneuver <laughs> the waldo maneuver the holdo maneuver where uh where you just take your ship and you you enter light speed and you slice a ship in half right like if that was actually a thing you could do then then both backwards and forwards in time, none of the actions of any battle that happened in space across the Star Star Wars universe makes any sense, right? Correct, because they broke the mythology, because the fighting was supposed to represent something. It wasn't just supposed to be pragmatically, how do we win this battle? The best way I can say that is the mythology of the Fast and the Furious is that it has no lore. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just that you go to see a Fast and the Furious movie because I don't know what the fuck's going to happen to this movie. Oh, wait, this movie's just Jason uh, Momoa acting like a oddly homosexual, effeminate man for no reason, and it's entertaining, and then he blows up the Hoover Dam? Okay, family. Whereas with Star Wars, you're going to see a very specific thing, Yeah, and it's about the mythology, it's not about the lore, which is why, ultimately, I hated The Last Jedi so much because it violated the mythology or tried to change the mythology of star wars to be about some sort of communist collective idea that it's about the lowest class rising up using the force and that's who's the most force sensitive so yeah okay now i understand i understand where that came from and it's part of how YouTube has destroyed our younger generation and they think they know everything because people make these stupid videos. Do you know any time I've tried to watch a YouTuber, I've just gotten angry <laughs> because they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Every time I watch a YouTuber, I know more than them. Yeah. Well, that, that just means we need to start making more YouTube videos. Well, I thought about that, but then I was like, I, the, the audience wouldn't be there for me because they'd say, I don't know what I'm talking about. That's true. That's true. Well, that's why we have this podcast for our 50 listeners. But they want to know my rating. Okay, so my rating is a solid middle-of-the-road bro. 2.5 stars. All right. You're not going to have a bad time. You're not going to have a great time. This movie exists. Hopefully, they can do better with the second one. You want to know what the sad part is, William? What's that? I'm going to watch the second oh, one. Oh, man. Well, it's not a horror comedy, so I didn't know it would be on the top of your list. Well, I just want to see what they do with it now. Now I'm curious from an intellectual standpoint. Yeah, that's the beginning of the franchise. You're you're going to dig into the lore. You're going to watch the 70 MatPat videos. I'm definitely not going <laughs> to... One of my students was like, please, please don't know who MatPat is. I don't want to know who MatPat is. I'm not going to watch the videos, okay? I'm just going to have the kids rant to me about the bite of 87 and the bite of 84 or whatever. I, I know too much already, okay? Yeah, yeah. So that's a movie that's going to come off in the far future, come out in the far future. Let's talk about some movies and shows that are going to come out soon in Trailer Takedown. Trailer Takedown. 
first trailer. Echo is the latest series by Disney, Marvel series by Disney, that's going to be also co-released on Hulu. I guess because they own Hulu now. They really uh, sort of did this really quick. They, uh, I don't know when this trailer came out, but cross-branding it with Hulu, they must have known they were going to buy out Hulu eventually. Uh, here's my thing. I only included this because this is a perfect example of what we were talking about of just trying to get as much Marvel on the market as possible. Because I have no idea why the fuck anyone would watch this if it wasn't for Marvel. Don't get me wrong, Vincent D'Onofrio is awesome in this. And he plays Kingpin, and he seems to have, when this character Echo was a child... Um, done something to her, and now he's coming back to harass her again. But there is literally nothing interesting and unique in this trailer except for the fact that, hey, this is a Marvel project, and oh wait, it's a Hispanic woman. Tackle. Tackle. I love I love his kingpin so much, and I can't stand anything they've created in the last, like, five years with him in it. So, I... <clears throat> it's... What a waste. What a waste of talent. Like... We got the perfect actor to play Kingpin, and we can't find anything to put him in. Um, yeah. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. The Sweet East is an independent film that seems to be a farcical journey across America where a young girl meets all sorts of different people who are absurd. I mean, comedic actors like Simon Rex and Andy Milanakis are in here. They seem to play different people, such as like black hippies who want to bring the 70s back and I presume are social justice warriors and then Simon Rex seems to be playing a right wing extreme right wing nationalist I think I get I don't know it's hard to tell exactly what's going on in this trailer and that's the problem right I think this will be very naturalistic in the sense that she just goes on this journey and things just happen and we're supposed to take away here's the thing William that bothers me about the way naturalism is used nowadays by A24 mm-hmm. and other people of their ilk this movie is going to be made and people are going to watch it and it's not going to have a theme but people are going to take arguments away from it and use it as arguments against reality oh this is how evil everyone in america is and here's all the problems oh here's how elvis was abusive and how elvis destroyed priscilla's life and was destructive to her and was a pedophile when really it's just showing things happening and there's no real point to it and it's not real but because people see it as naturalism, they believe it actually is real and was real and is accurately portraying America. Tackle. Tackle. This is nothing more than a super pretentious fusion of Alice in Wonderland with uh, American cultural commentary. But because it's naturalistic, just like you said, there's not actually going to be any commentary there. Tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. The Fall Guy stars Ryan Gosling and Emily, I can never remember her first name. I always want to say Bluth, but she wasn't in Arrested Development. Say her last name for me. Is it Blunt? No idea. Blunt? Okay. Sure. Well, yeah, I think it's Emily Blunt. John Krasinski's wife. Okay. In this, she's a movie director and Ryan Gosling is a stunt guy who she previously, I guess, one had a one night stand with or something. She had some sort of prior relationship. Now they're working together. She doesn't like it, and he has to go help the star of the film. I'm not going to say more, because my biggest problem with this trailer is it went on too long and spoiled the movie too much. Because you know what? I was in, in the first half of this trailer already. They didn't need the second half of the trailer. This is directed by 
one of the guys who did he either did the first or second Deadpool. I don't remember which one. And he's clearly taking that style forward and doing new stuff with it. This is what I want to see in a movie. It's an action movie with a great star. And it's, it's incredibly funny. I like his character. I like the way he handles things and it's action. This looks great. And you know what? Cinematography wise, this is the complete opposite of naturalism. They're trying to make this big and, Bold and bright. I need more of this. Hug. Hug. Uh, the only thing I'll add is don't watch the trailer. Because, uh, like you said, it, it spoils something that I think is important that should not be in the trailer. All that being said, uh, yep, uh, this looks fun. The only conceit that I'm going to have trouble with, Justin, is no stunt guy in Hollywood is that pretty. They would be a lead. Agree with me? I mean, I agree with you, but I don't give a fuck. Like, it looks cool, and if you hey, want to make care it either. that I'd way, rather I'll see, watch it. I'd rather see Ryan than, than some ugly stunt guy. It's not naturalism. We don't need to have those conceits. Your word, see, you're talking about the lore. I'm exactly. talking about the mythology. I don't give a fuck about the lore. The mythology <laughs> is he's fucking awesome, so he's going to be good looking. Exactly. Okay? That's right. Just hug the fucking trailer. Mm, hug. Third Is trailer. that the first... What? Way to step on it, Justin. Uh, what? Oh, you're not going to play it? Or are you going to wait till I, I keep it's talking? It's all about, you know, it's, we always talk about this. It's all about the comedic effect. <laughs> I know, but way this is the meta comedic effect. Damn it. God damn it. Okay. No, is that the first trailer that I've officially hugged twice? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I don't think you've I, given Dude, I don't hugs. know. That, that trailer... I don't know. I, that looks it's really good. awesome it's to me. Good. Yeah, like, it seems really good. It's it, got lots of good action in it. You know what it reminded me of? The Hitman's Bodyguard, the Ryan Reynolds movie, where I saw the trailer and I was like, you know what? I'm going to really enjoy that movie. And that movie's not going to get a lot of hype and it's going to kind of go by, but I'm going to love that movie. Or like Free Guy. Like when we saw yeah, the trailers, yeah. I knew I was going to love that movie. You know, and maybe they wanted Ryan Reynolds and they couldn't get him, so they did Ryan Gosling. All right, hit the next trailer again. Third trailer. Technically, it's the fourth, but whatever. Fourth Kingdom of the Planet trailer. of the Apes. God damn it. Now you're going to do the fucking <laughs> thing again. <laughs> We're in a cycle. We're in a cycle. So Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Wait a second, uh, William. <laughs> All right, can I just say fuck this movie? Like, I don't care anymore. Like... I know, like, people love this franchise, and don't get me wrong, the CGI is awesome, but do we really need to continue the metaphor of, like, oh, wait, it's the apes, except they're acting like humans, and they're doing the things humans do, which have war, so their better society failed because they're just as flawed as humans. Like, how many fucking movies do we need to tell this again? This is just, again... This is pure trying to get market share. How do we maximize our profits? Oh, let's just push this franchise through. I have zero interest in this. Tackle. Tackle. You hugged the last movie twice. I'm going to tackle this one twice. What the F are we still making these movies for? Who's going to watch this? Tackle. 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 Final trailer. Manodrome stars Jesse Eisenberg and Adrian Brody. And I put this on here because I like Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Adrian Brody's 
interesting. He interesting. I don't know why I said that. He's talented. My brain completely farted because I was looking at the title Manodrome, and the other reason I put this on here is it reminded me of Manosphere. So I wanted to see what this was like, and. I don't know what it is, but this is the second movie where, like, Jesse Eisenberg seems to be going against masculinity. And he seems to be taking this edge of, like, critiquing toxic masculinity. Because in this, Jesse Eisenberg is sort of down and out in life. He loses his job. There's sort of like a uh, Breaking Bad edge to this, except instead of getting into dealing drugs, he gets into the manosphere. And then he starts, like, lifting weights and trying to reclaim his masculinity. There's one specific scene that stuck out to me that really bothered me. And it showed Jesse Eisenberg watching some guy being mistreated by a girl at the mall. And it was implied that Adrian Brody's character was using that to fuel him, to fuel his toxic masculinity, you know, to say like, Oh, you need to take back your masculinity and your dominance. But like, that's a legitimate argument, and we've talked about it extensively on this show, and I'm not going to go into it now and critiquing this trailer because people can just use it as a straw man, but this movie is in itself a straw man of what people do to critique masculinity. It's a straw man of the idea of toxic masculinity, and I don't know why Jesse Eisenberg's on this kick. Maybe he feels like he has to pay penance because he didn't realize the philosophical battle he was getting into when he signed on to Batman versus Superman. I don't know. I I don't know. Tackle. Tackle. Justin, I think this is another movie that gave away the entire plot in the preview, right? Like this, this story, if you look at the bones of the preview, this has got to be the entire story, right? It's, it's, uh, man is down. His wife's pregnant. Um, his friends say, Hey, join this cult. He joins the cult, does some bad shit, stands up to the leader. The end. This is the movie. This and that's all in the in the trailer. Um, I don't know whether this. I mean, let's be honest. We both figure that this is just toxic masculinity. The movie, based on the title, based on the the plot elements, stuff like this. It. I think it's trying to sell itself though as Fight Club, right? And Fight Club wasn't toxic masculinity, right? Like it, it was sort of a, uh, a, uh, it was an attempt to take down sort of like, uh, post capitalism. And so maybe the first part was about how, how, uh, how postmodern capitalism had taken over masculinity. And the second part was, you know, the consequences of, of, uh, of, uh, an attempt to stand up for it in a bad way. Right. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is full of weird. Um, it it's it sucks though because I think this is another talented actor that we're wasting on other roles, right? Um, but this could have been a good movie, right? About a man, or could be, it could still be, right? I don't know. This is just based on the preview about a man actually figuring out what masculinity is and, and escaping a cult. But I don't think that's what this is going to be, Justin. I think I think you're right. I think we're 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 reading the tea leaves here based on some patterns and saying this is just going to be ta- toxic masculinity. The movie. So uh, no thanks. Ugh, tackle. All right, William. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? Well, I learned that despite you posting um, almost two pages of quotes for one story, we're not, we weren't going to go through all of them. I was like, man, this is going to be the longest show ever. Justin, what did you learn this week? 
Well, first of all, it still is a pretty long episode if you look at the time oh, right damn. now. Yeah. Uh, good good thing we went back an hour. God damn. I hate <laughs> I hate that now it's going to be dark all the time. This is the worst part of the year. Uh, I learned, and hopefully you have the, uh, the drop coming up here, uh, I learned that Jesse Eisenberg is apparently a beta cuck. Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would be just be me talking into a corner like a crazy person because the other thing I learned is that I am both crazy and a pattern identifier at the same time, and those two things feed into each other. So thanks for helping me to continue to feed that. You're continuing to feed my uh, destruction here. You can do that by supporting us by going to midside.com slash store, buying some merch, the midside.com slash Patreon, and the midside.com slash locals. That's how we keep the lights on. And if you know any people who like to watch people go crazy or listen to people go crazy, tell those friends, especially those female friends, about the show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emblazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a San Francisco free day. So if I want to go to the national championship, should I pack my tent and start driving to wherever the hell it is this year? I mean, basically, I mean, this is no different from flippers. It's no different from people camping out for all those Star Wars movies for the prequels. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Doesn't that suck? That's the only way you could see the game. Yeah. Yeah.